Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We join me in welcoming Samuel Wad. Good morning, everyone. It is a true joy to be with you uh, today, to be back here again. Uh, I was sharing earlier that the first time I came to this church and spoke, it was a true blessing for me. The second time, it felt like coming back home. And this time, it feels like I never left. So it's, it's a real joy to be able to come here. And, and for me, I take this opportunity and this invitation not to try to impress you with anything. Uh, I guess this is why you invite me again, because something happened the first two times. Uh, but to actually share my journey with you, to share my heart with you. And, and especially the big question for me, which is, what does it mean to be a peacemaker in the midst of conflict? As a Palestinian who has lived under what's known as military occupation, under violent situations, in a land where Palestinians and Israelis have been violent towards each other, many on both sides have suffered. Many have died in this conflict that's been going on for decades. What does it really mean for us to be peacemakers in times of conflict? In the conflicts that we face in our community here in the U.S., in our society, between us and our neighbors, between us and people who are different than us. What does it mean to be a peacemaker? And so I begin by asking the question in our mind, when I throw out the word peacemaker, what are some of the images that come to us? Many people would look at the concept of peacemakers. They might refer to groups like the United Nations. Peacemaking forces that go into countries to try to stop warring factions from fighting each other. Many of us would look at diplomats who engage in negotiating conflicts between people in conflict or warring factions. Many people would look into secretaries of state, foreign dignitaries as peacemakers. They win Nobel Peace Prizes for making peace happen between communities. And many of us like this because many of us would understand the concept of peacemaking as the situation where there is no war taking place. There is no violence. There are no people that are suffering or are dying because of warring factions. And we accept this. I, I studied peacemaking in college. I did a degree in conflict resolution in college. I studied the seven steps to peacemaking. But is this the peacemaking that Christ calls us to be when he calls us to be peacemakers? And so for today, I would like to engage in sort of two questions. How do we become peacemakers? And what does it mean to engage in peacemaking through the pure lens of Jesus Christ and what he calls us to do? 
Because at the end, Jesus does call us to be peacemakers. And is it sort of this earthly, standard, typical process of negotiating conflicts, of stopping warring factions from happening, or is this something, or is there something else to it? And a few months ago, I was on an airplane uh, reading the Bible and reading the Beatitudes. And one of the things I started realizing very quickly as I was just sort of reading them and reading through them over and over again is that I, as a person at least, has completely misunderstood the Beatitudes themselves. They're simple. Blessed are, blessed are, blessed are, blessed are. And the way I understood them, and what I realized is the way that most people look at the Beatitudes is they look at them as each being its own individual statement. Like bullet points. The first one, the second one, the third one. I call them bumper stickers. Each one being its own unique bumper sticker. And I started reading them a little differently. I started reading them as a process of me personally to engage in. A journey that all the Beatitudes themselves are part of my journey that ultimately leads me to one of the last Beatitudes, which is being the peacemaker. And so what I would like to share with you today is sort of how I see this journey and how I've experienced it in my life. I'm not a theologian, I'm not a pastor, so many people would probably argue, you're wrong, Sammy. But at the end, I would just want to share it as part of my personal experience of beginning to truly understand what it means to be a peacemaker. Because for me, at the end of the day, what Christ calls us to do is to transform ourselves. It's not about learning something and using these tools in our work, but it's about who I become as a peacemaker. And so if we look into the Beatitudes themselves, the first one is blessed are the poor. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And the second one is blessed are those who mourn. And if we just take the first phrases of the blessed, of just blessed are the poor, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are the meek, blessed are the hungry for righteousness, blessed are the merciful, blessed are the pure in heart, blessed are the peacemakers. And if we just put these words next to each other, we could actually begin to see a linkage between them. What does it mean to, to be poor? Being poor means I acknowledge that I have lost everything. Being poor means I don't have food, I don't have money. And being poor in spirit means I don't even have the spiritual answers in my life. I surrender everything. I am poor. I, I beg. That's what many poor people do around the world. They beg for what they are missing. And so when I acknowledge that I am poor, I receive the first blessings of God. I don't have answers. As a Palestinian who lives in the midst of conflict, to be able to say I don't have answers. My opinion means absolutely nothing to real peacemaking in this. I could say I am right, you know, everything about the Palestinian narrative is right. The Israeli will come here and say everything about the Israeli narrative is right. But being poor means I surrender everything. I have no answer. I surrender everything to God. I beg God for giving me the answer. And not do I just acknowledge that I am poor. The next one is to mourn what I have lost. To mourn what I have given up. Because mourning means putting a closure to it. I'm not even going to try to seek that same thing that I had. I'm not going to even try to seek that same political answer differently. When I say I am poor and I give up my political aspirations to finding a solution to this conflict, I mourn that. That means I completely close 
that file of the past. So I start by declaring myself as poor, by mourning my understanding of how do I resolve this conflict in my community or with my neighbor. I don't have an answer. And then the next step, you, you begin to go from this sort of down place to meekness, humbleness. I humble myself before God. I open my heart before God and I say, God, you give me the answer. I don't have anything. I have absolutely no answer to this conflict, to this war. I am humble. I meek myself in front of you. And then the next step, I begin to hunger for righteousness. Now I'm growing up. Now I'm actually seeking something. Righteousness. Because this is what God gives me. His righteousness and grace is what begins to open my eyes to the world. And then as I begin to seek this righteousness, and the next thing is mercy. You can just see it's sort of this transition of my personal process of being in this low spot. And then I'm slowly beginning to rise. Righteousness, mercy. And then the next one is pure in heart. Pure in heart, the way I look at it, is becoming a white, pure slate. All the past is gone. All the pain is gone. All of my judgment, all of my assumptions are gone. And I'm pure in the kingdom of His righteousness and His mercy. And then, when I reach that point of my personal process, then the next thing happens. I'm a peacemaker. I can actually now engage in a real understanding of what peacemaking is about. It's not about my cause. It's not about my issue. It's how do I stand in this place where I truly begin to see the humanity and the pain that exists in this world. As a Palestinian to be able to see the pain of the Israeli who is persecuting me. As an Israeli to begin to see the pain of the Palestinian who is attacking me. This is where true peacemaking is about. And I want to explain a little bit what does that look like in terms of the framework of how I think Jesus engaged in this. But the sad thing, or maybe the joyful thing about this process is that there's actually one after peacemaking. You know, what comes after being a peacemaker? Persecution. It's actually not fun to be a peacemaker in that true sense of the world, the word. When you are a peacemaker in that true sense, you're not seeking a Nobel Peace Prize. You're not seeking an award. You're not seeking a grant for the job you've done. You're not seeking even press recognition for what you're engaging in. What you should be expecting is persecution. And when persecution comes, it actually comes from everybody. For me as a Palestinian to be able to stand in front of my Palestinian community and to say, true peacemaking is about loving our enemy. I'm not going to get many fans in my community that would agree with me because of the, lot of the pain that exists there. And for me as a Palestinian to go to the Israelis and to say, I love you. Really? They're going to doubt me. They're not going to trust me. What's the hidden agenda behind this? What are you trying to gain out of this? And so to be in this space where you as a peacemaker become persecuted by everybody, that means you have surrendered all of your ego, all of your desires, all of your earthly aspirations into one thing, into God's will for you and for your community. I surrender everything. I want to be a peacemaker. That means I have no agenda. I have no political aspirations. I have no what's mine and what's theirs. But there's one after persecution, which is rejoice. This is where true joy exists. The joy of really engaging in this process 
of being a peacemaker on this earth. Of not just resolving conflicts, but of actually bringing communities together. And so this has been a journey that I've been engaging in. And a journey that I'm challenging others to begin to seek in their own lives. It's not about learning a course. It's not about getting a degree. It's not about being your own righteous self and how you deal with your enemy. I'm better than them. They're the violent one. I'm the nonviolent one. They're the bad. I'm the good. But to look into the process of how Jesus really engaged in this personal transformation to become a peacemaker. And then to ask the question, well then what did Jesus do? What did Jesus do on a daily, his daily work as a peacemaker? And there's this verse which is actually before the Sermon on the Mount, but it's kind of spreads throughout the life of Jesus, which is Matthew 4.23, which says, Jesus walked through the Galilee, which is what he did in the land, and he did three things. He was preaching in their synagogues. He was healing the illnesses and wounds, and he was proclaiming the kingdom of God. Teaching, healing, and preaching the kingdom of God. And for me, this is the challenge that I want to leave us in. True peacemakers, in that sense of following in the footsteps of Jesus, are not the ones who just negotiate peace treaties between warring factions. They're not the ones who are trying to negotiate some bill in the Senate or the Congress that both parties can agree on or accept to live by. True peacemakers are the ones that look into a conflict and they ask, what is the wound that needs to be healed in this conflict? They're not looking at the actions of violence only, but they're looking at what causes people to commit acts of violence. And if we really look into conflicts, from the personal conflicts we have in our lives to the big national conflicts we have with other countries and communities, one of the things, if we really look in this, from this pure heart of the lens of Jesus, one of the things we begin to see is that in every conflict, there is a moment of pain that we have ignored and we need to address. And that moment of pain needs healing. It's very difficult for us to hear this. As a Palestinian, to be able to say, what is the pain that exists in the Jewish community that I need to heal? This is where true peacemaking begins. Because when Jesus was healing people, he wasn't healing them just to show off how great he is. Look, I'm the Messiah. Psh, I heal you. The healing process is a process to actually liberate people from the constraints that prevent them from living out their humanity in the way God wanted us to live our humanity. When I live in fear as a nation or as an individual today, it's because of the past pain that I experience. But when I'm healed from that past pain, I could live out my humanity. The Jewish community can live out their Jewishness. The Muslim community can live out their Islam in that way of really honoring what it means to be a human being without fear, without violence, without this need for security and protecting myself from the other. So Jesus healed the past. And then he was teaching in their synagogues. Teaching means engaging in building up the community. Doing the programs that train people so I'm healed from the past, but what do I do now? What are the programs that we as a church can really bring into the community? Not just the charity programs. Not just the, here's a the, here's the check. I did my part. How do I bring my skills, the gifts that God has given me, to train and to teach people in my community, in my enemy's community, so that they could truly 
live their life and develop and prosper in the way God wants us to do. And then there's that third component, which for me is the ultimate engagement of peacemaking. Preaching the kingdom of God. Christ doesn't want us just to heal our past. He doesn't want us to live a good life in the present. All of this is ultimately for bringing the kingdom of God at hand. This is the ultimate job of our engagement as peacemaking. It's not the ultimate. I want to say this is the only job we have as peacemakers. The church engagement in peacemaking in areas of conflict is to usher in the kingdom of God in these areas. This is what we're called to do. And what does that mean? In the context of where I live, in the context of the Holy Land, in Palestine and Israel, honestly I would say it's not about reaching a political agreement. Many people talk about what is the political solution to the conflict. I don't see Jesus sitting and doing this. I don't see Jesus sitting at a negotiating table between Bibi Netanyahu, the Israeli Prime Minister, and Mahmoud Abbas, the Palestinian President, and trying to reach a deal between them. Bringing the Kingdom of God means bringing those values of the Kingdom into our lives, and into the lives of our enemy. Respect, dignity, honor. We're all created, created by God in God's image. We're all equal in God's eyes. This is what we are called to do. And this is my prayer to you as the church today. How can we as the church become true peacemakers? What is the process that we need to engage in? And what is the mission that we do outside of this church? And may God bless you in your conflicts in your lives, in your conflicts in your nations, so that these would be the tests of true engagement in peacemaking. Thank you and God bless you.